You're listening to the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Joe DiBiase. Brought to you by Northtown Automotive. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at Northtown. Shop online at NorthtownAuto.com. Pocket collapsing. Has to roll out to his right to buy time. Looking downfield. He's got Gabe Davis over the shoulder. Caught at the 15. And he drives his way into the end zone for the touchdown. Wow! Gabe Davis, one of his bigger catches last year, inconsistent year. I think that's been kind of the story of his tenure in Buffalo. Whether that ends or not, it might over the next month. Free agency begins while you can start talking to potential free agents March 11th. That's when the window opens, March 11th, a little earlier this year. March 13th is when a a player and a team can actually you know, agree to a new contract and sign. So we'll see what happens. In the meantime, a lot of that stuff starts to happen around the combine. Agents are there. Front office personnel are there. Teams start talking. You know, I remember last year, last year at the combine was when it became known that we all kind of realized that Tremaine Edmonds was going to get paid. Like he's going to get a big contract and it's very unlikely the Bills will resign him. And this situation feels very similar to me with Gabe Davis, to be quite honest with you, which is I think we all kind of recognize Gabe's going to get more than what the Bills, A, are willing to pay, or B, should pay, right? Let's be honest. Um, But to me, the Bills would still love to have Gabe Davis on their roster if they could. I think he means a lot to them, what he's done. He's You can't convince me that Brandon Bean is lying, as some people have basically said, and the Twitter post I mentioned earlier in um, the replies, you can't convince me he's lying about saying we'd love to have him back, about the guy who's literally won the hardest worker award over the last two off-seasons and was named a team captain. Now, you can convince me, and I would be fully on board with saying, but you know what? we got to do something different at wide receiver. That doesn't mean we can't have him on the roster. And that's where, basically, the want to and the can you do and will it be worth it and the value meet. And that's why it's pretty unlikely. And now we'll go to the combine next week. We'll see how it shakes out. We'll see how it shakes out over the next month with free agency around the corner. Joining us on the Western Hotline and the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show is Josh Reed, sports director at WIVB-TV, Channel 4 CBS in Buffalo. Do you think I laid that out right, Josh, about Gabe? Like, Do you think that's where it is for you and when it comes to him and the team? Yeah, I think we're pretty aligned on the thought behind Gabe Davis and the situation that Brandon Bean and the Bills are in currently. I mean, look, if they had a stack full of cash that they could hand out, I think Gabe would likely be getting it from the Bills. I just do. I think that 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 seems to fit what Brandon Bean would like to do. And I I honestly believe Gabe would like to come back to the Bills. I fault Gabe for also wanting his first ever legit wide receiver payday either. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's made, I don't know, under $6 million in his first four seasons total. I mean, wow, he's made, he's made $3 million less than Tyler Bass has in his first four seasons. That's to take nothing away from Tyler Bass, but we're talking about a guy who has made some significant plays in, in Bill's games. And yeah, I think that I think at the end of the day, it the numbers just probably aren't going to match up. That doesn't mean that Brandon and the Bills wouldn't like to have him back, and it doesn't mean that Gabe doesn't want and have like a part of his heart and mind, you know, wanting to come back. But at the end of the day, both sides have got to do what's best, and we've heard Brandon say that. 
and you can't fault Gabe for going and getting his pay. Go, go get it. And that's at right. the end of the day, I think it's probably best for both sides if that's the way it plays out. I think that a lot of the wide receiver discussion also has to include Stefan Diggs, not whether he's here or not or he wants out. I mean, I guess that's a, a thing that people want to talk about. I just wonder about what the production, like what is his role? What is his production? And if you do, which we, we presumably think, Josh, that you do lose Gabe Davis, if Stefan Diggs doesn't get back to what he was, which I don't know, is he going to? I think he can. I think he might. I mean, we're looking at a really, really challenging situation at that position because now you might be relying on rookies and undrafted free agents and guys off the street to take big roles. Yes, and I would always go back to the idea that that's where having an elite quarterback comes in. If you draft a young guy, not only is it on the coaching staff to develop him, it's up to Josh Allen to develop him. I mean, that's on him. That's on making sure you get the most out of, out of whoever you draft. And look, sometimes you're going to draft a guy and it just doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't matter who you have at quarterback. It just it falls through. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's on Josh. That's why you have an elite quarterback. Look, I mean, the, the best of the best quarterbacks, they take good receivers and make them very good. And they take very good receivers and make them great. I mean, we've seen it in the past with, I mean, name the quarterback. We, we currently, we see it with Patrick Mahomes. You know, we saw it with Tom Brady for two decades. So, I mean, it, that, that's kind of, that's, that's on Josh to him, for him to make all these guys a bit better. But to circle kind of back to, to Stefan Diggs, it is really worrisome, the, the fall off that he had at the end mm-hmm. of the season. I mean, very worrisome. Um, and the idea that he was taking himself out kind of, you know, periodically at the end of games and throughout games, and you'd see a third down when he wasn't on the field. Now, whether or not that was him taking himself out or that was, you know, some sort of package that they had on, on whatever play they wanted to run, I'm not sure. But to me, the team is always going to be better when Stefan Diggs is on the field. Um, I think if you draft the wide receiver in the first round, it's with the idea that initially – he is your number two with the idea that you project out that he becomes your number one. Maybe mm-hmm. not this year because Stefan, I still do believe, has you know that left in him. But 2025, I think that becomes realistic to think that if you draft a guy high, that that, that becomes your goal is to develop him into the number one guy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I just circle back to the Davis conversation a little bit, Josh, is – when Bean got asked about Diggs and like, can he still be a number one receiver at the end of the year? He said the words, we have to continue to put weapons out there to keep teams from bracketing him or locking him down. Like he kind of gave credence to something that we saw a lot of film guys point out that it just became too easy to cover Stefan Diggs. And I don't know, the GM kind of sounded to me like he wants the, like what you just mentioned, the guy that could eventually become the number one, but you'd like to think in the meantime, you know, is uh, is able to have an impact even on Diggs' uh, capabilities the next couple of years. Yeah, when you start the conversation about, you know, who's the number one and is Steph still that guy and can he maintain that for another year? Was the drop-off, you know, is that something that's going to carry over? I think one of the things that you have to go back and look at is how well 
Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid played, in particular toward the end of the season. You start looking at that and the way Steph kind of fell off and those two guys continued to rise and continued to do good things inside that offense, you know, that's when you start to go, okay, they have enough weapons that if they can add a first-round wide receiver to this mix and Gabe Davis is gone, that you go, there's, there's, a, there's plenty to work. It's not like we're looking at, you know, a group of playmakers where it's just absent of talent. They, I mean, they spent a first-rounder on a tight end, and I don't know your thoughts, but you know, to me, he did everything that you could have wanted to see, you know, in a first round mm-hmm. of the first round tight end. I thought he was really good and, and enough so that you go, wow, the potential is there to be not only good, but to be great. And I think long-term, I think you look at him and you go, okay, Dalton Kincaid, maybe, maybe he becomes your number two receiver quickly. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that happens real quick, maybe even as early as next year. So maybe you bring a receiver in and, and, you know, maybe it takes them a little bit long. You know, receivers, rookie years, you know, I heard you mention, you know, there's a boom and bust, you know, and there's been a lot more boom lately than, than bust. Mm-hmm, and maybe mm-hmm. this guy is in, is somewhere in the land of the middle this first year. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rasheed Rice, right? I feel like at the beginning of his year in Kansas City, it was like, ooh, maybe the Chiefs got got on this guy. I don't know. And then it, you just continue to see him progress his rookie year. And maybe that's what the Bills land. And to me, then they've they've kind of rounded out that that uh, receiving core in, in those different weapons that Josh will have. Yeah, that almost sounds like to me like you kind of see them and free agency will happen first. And as you mentioned, like there might be two or three booms for every bus, but there are busts. I mean, Quentin Johnston couldn't really play last year for the Chargers, and Burks the year before that for Tennessee. Do you see them? bringing in like a, on a on a smaller deal almost like rookie receiver insurance or even insurance on the idea that the, the board doesn't fall their way but if davis leaves i feel like there's got to be a move even if it's smaller uh at that position next month yeah and i think we've seen we've seen a hint it you know the, the thought behind that what you're talking about when they got Hamler, right? Like as soon as the season ended, all of a sudden <laughs> one of the first moves they make is a futures deal with KJ Hamler, right? It's like, wow, mm-hmm. that was quick. Yep. You know? And I mean, to me, look, I don't know that that, that that tells a whole story and maybe I'm looking at it, digging a little too deep on it, but I don't know. It just kind of says that they're planning on making some moves at that, at that spot. And I just, yep. I'm with you. I think that they would bring in a quote-unquote insurance policy, huh? you know, on a rookie maybe doesn't quite work out. I mean, you know, once again, you you look at the way they're structured, you know, with the Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid, and I feel like they're very versatile in what they can do. So they bring in a, a veteran wide receiver. It doesn't necessarily need to be a guy that slots in on the outside or on the inside. Maybe it's somebody who can do a little bit of everything, which I think that's what they prefer. How many, I mean, you go all the way back to when Sean and Brandon took over position flexibility was, you know, how many times have we heard that in the last eight years? Um, So, yeah, but I, I would fully anticipate them looking at a guy like a, you know, maybe it's not Trent Shurfield, but someone along those lines. Josh Reed on the Western hotline. All right. 
the good news is for the Bills, now the bad news, you might lose a player like Gabe Davis, who's been a nice player for them, and you know we'll see where that goes. The good news is you don't have much on offense as far as free agency. The bad news is you do on defense. A lot of guys that are up for free agent contracts. Conventional wisdom, Josh, when we talk, other people, Daquan Jones might be the highest priority. Is it for you? Would Daquan Jones be the number one guy of all the pending free agents for the Bills to kind of try and secure again? I go back and forth. I, I might lean A.J. Epinesa. Okay. Um, I, like I, I thought I saw a lot of development there in A.J. And, I mean, he started the season off on fire. And then remember he cracked his rib, right? Wasn't it a rib that he – didn't he injure his rib? Yeah, he did. Oh, listen, it was in Kansas City. He fell on – I think it was in Kansas City, I believe. He fell on a fumble. I'm down there on the sidelines. Josh, It was he was – you know, he was in pain. You know what I mean? Like, these guys, they go through so much, but he was in pain. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So I think that I think that impacted him. Maybe not the rest of the season, but I think that impacted him for, for a good chunk of time. Um, but leading up to that injury, I mean, he was, he was playing with his hair on fire. It, you started to see, oh, this is the guy that the Bills thought they were getting. I mean, he was making plays. Remember, there was a storyline for two straight weeks where he was knocking balls down at the line of scrimmage, and it became a Josh Allen said he sees this every week in practice. Like, it just became – he became a storyline and the impactful plays he was making at the line. How how often do we hear, you know, the Bills brass just preach, draft, and develop, and resign? Well, here's, here's one of their guys. I mean, this is one of their draft picks. Um, now on the open market, is he going to get, is he going to get a lot thrown at him because he's still really young? You know, this is his first time at being a free agent and let's face it (laughs) outside of, you know, the guys who throw it, the guys who chase the guys who throw it are the second most important. We know that in Buffalo because how often have we talked about the only way to beat Mahomes is to be able to get pressure on him with the front four. We've talked about it at nauseum, right? Well, I mean, I, I do think that he I, – I would maybe lean A.J. Epinesa, and I think age has a lot to do with it. Um, Daquan, don't get me wrong, Daquan, man, he was such a huge part of that front four. Once again, you know, he gets injured, you know, toward the middle of the season, has a great year, finds a way to get back from that injury, you know. And, I mean, you could just tell when, you know, it was kind of declared that he was going to make it back, that just the entire defensive line was like, okay, we got our guy back now. Right. And I mean, he and he, you know, the argument for Daquan is he he helps at Oliver, be, you know, just become a, even more elite. Right. He pushes at Oliver's game to the next level, which, you know, you have a huge investment there. So put, putting a guy like Daquan next to him um, is, is really vitally important. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd go back and forth between those two guys. But I may lean A.J. Epinesa. Sheerly on age. Do you do you see them doing anything at corner this offseason? I don't. I know that that's kind of like the that's kind of like the big. I don't know. I feel like a lot more draft analysts that that I've been reading. Yeah. Stuff, I feel like the national guys are putting this big emphasis on what the Bills do at cornerback in the draft, and almost like it's a need, like. If you look at all of them when they list the different needs, cornerback shows up on almost all the lists, and it has me a little like, really? You think? Like, 
I'm not saying that they wouldn't take a flyer on a guy, you know, a mid-round guy, round five, round six, something like that. But we've seen they've hit they've hit on those guys a ton. I don't know. I just feel like they're deep enough at that position. Some of that will come down to where they stand with Tredavious White. Mm-hmm. You know, how confident are they? Look, if they draft a cornerback in round two, that may tell us all we need to know about Tredavious White, right? I mean, that may tell us that they don't think he's going to be ready for quite some time. And unfortunately, we haven't heard from Trey since the injury. And we know what it took for him, not only physically to get back from that first injury, but mentally and psychologically what it he went through to get through. I mean, when we talked to him for the first time, like you could just hear it in his soul when he was telling us what he went through to get back and, to go th- have to go through all that again. I mean, that's that's a tough that's a tough thing to shoulder. So it'll be interesting to see where the Bills go. But I I don't. I think they've got enough talent in that room and enough experience in that room um, that they should be fine. That doesn't mean you don't look, you know, maybe for a veteran free agent to come in and kind of help bolster somebody that maybe has a little more you know tread left on the tires than Josh Norman. And I think Josh Norman they brought him in and he was more of a kind of like yeah. a just like a role model and a mentor inside that room than anything else. But I think that, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a veteran added to that room, but I using a high draft pick, even a first three round draft pick to me, I, I would be shocked. Josh, you can attack this one any way you want. It's kind of a broad question, but all the coaching changes, just kind of your thoughts overall, Joe Brady, OC, Bobby Babbage goes to DC. They lose Eric Washington and now John Butler, um, just the changes there and, you know, what you think it means and what how the impact it, they might have on the Bills. Yeah, you know, we're creeping up on the combine, right, coming up next week. Um, Sean's first ever combine in Indianapolis. I went over all – a lot of the head coaches will do like a podium, right? So Ron Rivera was holding his podium, obviously, Sean – coming from Ron Rivera and everything, and we know the ties there. So I went over to Ron Rivera's podium um, and asked what advice he gave Sean, becoming a first-time head coach, and Ron Rivera, I'll never forget it. He said, I told him as a first-time head coach and being younger that he'd be very wise to surround himself and put coaches on his coaching staff that have head coaching experience, if he can, you know, and guys who have been in the league a long time. Well, Rick Dennison, Leslie Frazier, right? Those were his first two coordinators. Yep. <laughs> now fast forward, right? And now he goes to Bobby Babich and Joe Brady with guys obviously in between. We're talking about a first-year head coach that hired his coordinators who were born in the 50s, in the 1950s. <laughs> These coordinators were born in the 80s. So <laughs> that tells you, where, and I think that that's just, a natural progression for a head coach, right? I think that it's wild. You you just get, you just get more comfortable, right? You get more comfortable in knowing, you know, you know, the lay of the land, if you will, for lack of a better kind of phrase. So, you know, the idea is now I can bring guys in who, you know, you can help mold a little bit and they, maybe they bring some fresh ideas, you know, to the room, which I have always thought is big as much as, it's great to have continuity, and that and that was huge early on, especially for Sean and his coaching career. Have that continuity, have the same voices in the room. Now I think there's there is room 
for fresh ideas and fresh perspectives. And I think that's what you get when you bring in, you know, a, a Bobby Babich and you not bring him in, but when you elevate him and you elevate Joe Brady from quarterback coach. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be, going to be interesting. It's going to be a storyline all season, you know, for better or worse. I mean, the same way Sean was when, you know, last year at this time, you know, we're in Indy and suddenly we find out Leslie Frazier is no longer going to be the defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. So then the storyline became, okay, how does this play out? What does Sean McDermott look like as a first time, you know, defensive coordinator slash head coach? Like what's he, well, I don't know that it could have gone a whole lot better. I mean, he, you know, I know that there's some questions on some different game management stuff, but in the sheer side of, Head coach, defensive play caller. I think it went really well. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It's going to be a storyline all season with the young guys, you know, taking over as the defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator. How's uh, how's Indy, guys? How's Indy ahead, as a city to uh, spend a few days in? Oh, it's awesome. Oh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's it's, it's, <laughs> it's an under, isn't it a really underrated, underrated city, Josh? I love it. It's so great, and it's centralized where they put it. Uh-huh. So, uh, the, like, the hotels, the convention center, everything's very walkable. Like, Lucas Oil, that's all just kind of right there. I, I mean, I don't know that you need to get in an Uber to do anything. You can just kind of walk. Just kind of walk everywhere. It's got great restaurants. It's got a lot of good restaurants. You know, it's not like, oh, there's only two places that, you know, is worth, that are worth mm-hmm. going to. It's got plenty of plenty of that um yeah it's a really good city and i know that you know there was a lot of talk the last couple of years in particular about moving it and you ask around indianapolis whether it's national media guys or coaches or gms or whatever personnel scouts whatever and they will tell you college coaches you know they go there to kind of support their guys or yeah, college coaches are looking for possible openings in the NFL. You ask everybody across the board, and you'll be hard pressed to find a lot of people that want to see it moved out of Indianapolis. Uh, everybody seems to like that as the spot, and I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great spot. I, I would even say this, Josh. I'd go this far. Next year, the Bills have a really terrific road schedule as far as cities. You can go to Houston, L.A., Seattle. I wouldn't sleep on Indy if someone's looking for a nice trip. That might be a little cheaper and, you know, drive over there. I wouldn't sleep on Indy. Instead of going all the way out to LA or Seattle, if you can't make that out west trip, I think Indy's a nice place to go, you know, on a road trip, hang out, restaurants, night before the game, go to a Bills game. I think that would be a nice trip for people. And a lot of the Bills fans who have traveled to there to watch games that I've talked to and, and just being inside that stadium, it sounds like the sight lines inside Lucas Oil yep. are really good. Like one of those, like not a really a bad seat in the house, almost like Ford yep. Field. You get that a lot in Ford Field. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I would I would highly recommend Indy if, if local fans are looking for a game to shoot over to, and it's an easy it's an easy drive even. So, hey, um, what do you guys got going next week for the combine over on Channel Four? Yeah, so we're gonna get there Monday. Um, you know, I know that hopefully there's going to be some availability during the week with John and Brandon. Um, and then it's 39 wide receivers, <laughs> right? So 39 receivers yeah. were invited to this combine. So it, I think they speak on Friday. So Friday will probably yeah. be the busiest day. Just trying to get all the intel you can possibly get on every single wide receiver. Um, you know, earlier in the week, you know, you got the defensive linemen 
going. And so, obviously, I think that's a that's a huge talking point coming out of Indy. You know, which guys kind of impress and. You know, so yeah, so we'll be we'll be hitting it hard Monday through Friday um, before we leave out Saturday. Um, or yeah, so it'll be be it's it's always a good week because it's good to get kind of the idea and kind of the the mind frame of different scouts around the league and just kind of talk to them, even if it's off record, about you know where do you see the Bills going? What do you think? You know, what would best benefit? Who's the player? You know who's the guy who's the, who's the quick riser in the draft that people should be looking at. So it's, it's always good to get all that intel in one spot in one week. All right, buddy. Well, I look forward to seeing you out there and uh, having a nice steak dinner. We won't tell our bosses for our expense accounts, okay? <laughs> that's right. We'll have to figure out a way to divvy it up there. So that sounds good. We'll see you there. Uh, looking forward to it. All right, you got it. Josh Reed, WIVB TV Channel Four, joining us to talk Bills. We'll talk back to Sabers and Miracle on Ice. Paul Hamilton joins us next. He has a personal connection to that particular hockey team. And, of course, Sabres' big win last night in Montreal. Well, it was a nice win, let's just say. It's not really big yet with the standings where they are. We'll take a timeout. Come back here on the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. All right, we're going to get Paul Hamilton here on the Wester Hotline. As always, Paul's appearances on WGR brought to you by Equitable Advisors. Thinking about today and planning for tomorrow by Relax Honda. Relax, we got this. We played the clip right there, 1980, 44 years ago today. Paul, you have a personal connection to that 1980 team. I know some people know. They've heard it before. But you were playing college hockey back then, right? And why don't you give us the story and how all that went down for you? Yeah, we were... um... I was at the uh, Olympic tryouts in St. Paul, and uh, they have uh, just a bunch of scouts, including Brooks, in the stands at the time, and there's probably 200-some-odd people that were invited to that. And then after a couple of days, they cut it down to 60, where we had four teams, 15 each, and we played. And then after that, 25 people are invited to go back to Colorado Springs, and I was not invited for that. I mean, it's still amazing to advance on that far uh, where you were. So give, give me something about that group, like the group you're with. Were you with any of the guys like that wound up playing on the team? Did you get to know anybody? Like what were those yeah, relationships Mark like? Mark Johnson was my center. Mark Johnson okay. was my center for the games. So uh, I did get to know wow. him. And you got to remember back then we're not talking about Internet or anything like that. So you don't really know right. who these guys are unless you played against sure. them. You know, so – and even then you didn't have – a lot of advanced scouting film and all that kind of stuff back mm-hmm. then either in college hockey. So most of them are just faces. I mean, you didn't know you were playing with or against uh, future guys that are going to be on the team. And you wouldn't, you know, I didn't know Mike Ramsey from a hole in the wall. And I just heard he was one of the last guys to touch the puck in that clip that you just played uh, mm-hmm, before right. they uh, actually beat the Soviet unit in that game. Did you know when you were going through the process, like, could you tell 
What's the skill level like? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, they beat the Soviets. Nobody expects that. But how good were these guys? Like, how, how good was the team? How good were the players that you, you had to go up against and what you thought about their skill level compared to college hockey that you had been playing? Well, no regrets. I can tell you I had a very, very good weekend. And, I knew, you know, you knew you weren't going to – I wasn't going to get there. I mean, you, just because of the skill level, you could see from some of the players that you, that you were up against. And that was the one thing – that I always said that I never had any problems keeping up with anybody. I could skate with anybody, but the people who played professional hockey and they could take a puck and they needed maybe a square that's just a little bit bigger than a puck, but not more to score a goal and hit, hit the net. I needed something maybe 10 times bigger than that to hit, Mm -hmm. you know, I, my shot wasn't going to hit that little corner there. I needed a little bit more room than that if I was going to score. And that was the biggest thing I could see in the difference, you know, how they could just wire a shot exactly where they wanted it. And mine might be a little bit high, a little bit low, Mm -hmm. but not exactly there. And that was the biggest difference as I saw is pretty much the way they shot. And, and of course, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be able to go end to end and, you know, go through the whole team and that kind of thing where, you know, a lot of guys playing in college hockey you wind up in the NHL could do that. Mm-hmm. What, how did you end up then taking in the tournament once it happened? I mean, we talked about earlier how it mm-hmm. like, wasn't really on live TV. It was tape delay a lot. Um, how did you take in the tournament then once it started? Yeah, just watching it uh, like everybody else did on TV. You know, the games that you could watch, and it wasn't like you had – you know, all the different channels that you have now during the Olympics where you can go, what do they have, four or five different channels going all day <laughs> yeah, long, right. you know, when you're watching the Olympics. so you It's hard to find where they're on. They're on so many channels now. Yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of choose the events you want to go see. This was basic. I think it was ABC back then, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, if you wanted to watch a game or, or something like that, you basically had to tune into that. I was at school, so I, I didn't have CBC to, to be able to watch on. But, uh, yeah, so for me it was whatever ABC showed you. Hmm. Paul Hamilton here on the Wester Hotline. Just real quick on that roster for that team. We go way back talking about this, Paul. For the last 12 years I've been at WGR. You and I are very much in agreement. Mike Ramsey should be up in the rafters uh, for the Buffalo mm-hmm. Sabres, number five. But you think about the crew. He was just in town, by the way, recently. You know, last week he was here, actually. Um, my favorite all-time Sabre because probably I was at that age where I knew he won the gold. He came to the Sabres. He was a rookie. He's a really good defenseman. Always loved watching him play. Um, but when you think about that group and some of the guys who went on to the NHL, Neil Broughton, Ken Morrow, I mean, these aren't guys that just did well at that level. They went, and some of them had really nice NHL careers. Yeah, like Mike Ruzioni, their captain, he was more of a niche player. You know, right. he, he didn't have a big NHL career, but he fit. He fit what they were trying to do, what Brooks was trying to do, and fit as a leader. And that's, that's, that's the definition of a team. The team that wins whatever sport we're talking about isn't the, like the best 20 guys. It's the best team. You know, how did you put together a team that, you know, has stars, that has role players, you know, and, and it, you know, it's no different in almost any sport that you talk about. You need role players to do different things. And you just can't show up with 20 guys who have the talent, the Gilbert Perot type of a thing back then. <laughs> so, you know, that's where a guy like a Ruzioni or Jim Craig didn't have a long and a 
career in goal. But certainly they did. They wouldn't have done what they did without him. You know, as far as the Olympic team. So yeah, some of them did. Uh, McClanahan was here with the Sabers also. Robbie McClanahan, yeah. um, along with Mike Ramsey. I'm trying to think of any others from that team ever wound up here. They, nothing's jumping out at me right now. Pavlich had a very long career uh, with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. So some of them did. Neil Broughton at one time may have been considered the greatest American-born player ever. He was really good. Mm-hmm. Had a great – I don't know if he would still – I mean, obviously, have a lot of guys since then. Patrick Kane, Pat LaFontaine came along. But Neil Broughton at one point was considered one of the greatest American-born players ever. And Neil Broughton was a player I had been exposed to because we played a lot of games in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And the high school tournament in Minnesota is crazy popular. Yeah. So if you turned on your TV and you were in Minnesota, you were seeing live – High school hockey games from Minnesota. Neil Broughton just ripped that tournament up uh, that one year he was in it. So he was one of the few guys I had heard of. Paul Hamilton on the Western Hotline. All right, Paul. Um, Sabres last night. Great, By the way, great stuff. We appreciate that. Sabres last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to Montreal. They get another win. Um, big couple big goals uh, later in the second period. They kind of took charge there. What did you see from the team and their response after being down one nothing early? Yeah, they were able to give up the first goal and still were okay. You know, it wasn't like they were playing poorly when they gave up the first goal. What Montreal likes to do, uh, I can't remember. I I, I might not have the stat exactly right, but it's something like 23% of their goals come from their defense. And both their goals Hmm. last night came from their defense. And a lot of their shots did. And a lot of their shots hit glass and the boards, which means the Sabres were taking away the shot lane and wasn't giving it to them, and then they were trying to get too fine with it and wide. But Montreal had 48 shot attempts. 25 came from their six defensemen. 11 of them were on net. So Buffalo was willing to let them shoot from distance and just fire it, especially when they when they found out very quickly that Uko Pekalukin was on his game. You know, he just had the one game where he was off earlier in the week. Uh, to me, it was the first game he had been off since mid-December. And but he was right on it and, uh, you know, made some great saves in that game. But they were willing to let them take those shots from distance. And even in the third period, when the shots were 11-4 Montreal, it took Buffalo maybe 12 minutes to get their first shot. But honestly, guys, I wasn't sitting there saying to myself, boy, they're in trouble. You know, I, I, I because a lot of the Montreal, Montreal had two Really good chances. One was a tip by Anderson and another one by Evans right afterwards with point blank. And Lukanen made great saves on those. But a lot of the other shots were from distance. And the Sabres did a pretty good job, you know, when they broke up plays. They would just flip it out to center ice if they had to, just to get it out of danger, which was fine. You know, I thought that was fine. You know, just make sure you don't turn it over. They put the puck up high, got it out to center ice, and – Live to fight another day. Um, you know, the, the one time Yoki Haru tried that, he lost the puck. He, he fanned on it. And that turned into a good chance, too, that uh, Lukanen just got a piece of and then it went wide. So, yeah, you know, he did have to make some good saves. But I never sat in there and said to myself, boy, they're really in trouble right now. Because the shots were, I think, midway through the period were 5 nothing. So it wasn't like Montreal was out shooting them 13 to nothing. It's just Buffalo chose to, okay, we're just going to make sure we get the puck out of danger and live to fight another day. 
when it comes to... I think maybe... Go ahead, go ahead Joe. I was just going to talk about uh, Lukanen again, Paul, last night, where he makes 29 saves. He's the game's number one star. Um, I mean, there was not a good performance by him against Anaheim, and we had not really seen that from him, and I think how important for him to bounce back after what might have been his worst game of the season? Yeah, I, that was a good test. I, he might have had some games that were worse when he was coming back from when he got sick. But you're right, it wasn't good. I mean, there were two goals that he definitely kind of fumbled around with and wound up in his net. And I think that was the test we hadn't seen yet. Okay, you're, you're playing really, really well. You're playing – your numbers are, in some cases, best in the NHL since January 1st. And let's see how you rebound. Well, he answered that question in a big hurry. He rebounded very, very well and made some great saves. And, you know, they – they don't, you know, in a one-goal game, if he's not on, they probably don't win. So, you know, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. They they got some big goals. Skinner got on the on the board, but you could almost predicted that because of the way he plays against the Montreal Canadiens. Even though he hadn't had a goal since he got back from injury, which was nine games, but it, it's just a feeling you get as an athlete. And you guys both played sports, and you know that. You know, you could be in a slump or whatever, but you just get into that venue that is your venue, you know, and you always have success there. And even if you're not playing well, your confidence all of a sudden rises. And that's exactly what happened. Skinner almost scored earlier in the game mm-hmm. on the wraparound in the first period, and then he did score on the power play when Cousins, he and Cousins came down. Cousins hits the post, rebound goes to Skinner, and he put it away. So... Uh, it was just one of those things where you, you just kind of had it. I, I told Brian when we were talking about keys to the game, get the puck to Skinner. This is his, this is his building. Get <laughs> the right. puck to Skinner, <laughs> and, and you're probably going to be okay. And he, he scored a big goal because, think about it, I mean, Struble scored to make it 2-1 to one Montreal, and, you know, the game could get away from you there. That was at 6.35, and at 9.28, Skinner ties it, ties it up again. So you get that goal back right away. Uh, you know, on the road in a place where they're now six and one, they're the second best road team since the turn of uh, 2024. Mm-hmm. The only team that's better hasn't lost yet. Nine, the nine and zero Florida Panthers. So uh, the Sabers, uh, you know, they they don't crumble when they're on the road like they do at home. Sabres with another road game in Columbus tomorrow night against the Blue Jackets, 7 p.m. puck drop, 6 o'clock pregame here on WGR. It is the dad's trip. Paul, i got to tell you, I know the the wind was nice, but maybe my favorite part of the night was hearing Alex Tuck tell you after the game it was a successful first leg of the trip because his dad didn't get in trouble in Montreal. <laughs> Some of them were here for the home game, but that doesn't count because they all weren't here yet. So uh, <laughs> That's but, right. Yeah. And I don't know if people saw the video of the dads that came in and announced the starting lineup. Each one introduced their kid. And oh, yeah. Clifton's dad, cool. he did the speech. You know, he came in and, and did the head coach speech and, you know, got them all fired up. And you can see how much they all enjoyed uh, the dads coming in and doing that. So, I, you know, I'm sure it's a win they're proud of just because their dads are yeah. here and their dads have sacrificed a lot for them or mentors. It's it, mentors sure. and to be able perform get a win like that uh you know everybody's happy now gotta run paul thanks a lot for your time today no problem guys take care all right paul hamilton on the western hotline we'll come back we'll wrap things up very quickly just want to mention something in college football and 
really, college football and the NFL that's happening. A little bit of a seed change we'll talk about briefly to wrap up the show here on the Extra Point Show today. All right, our own Sal Capaccio is headed down to the NFL Combine. Coverage of the NFL Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com and by Outlet Liquor. When you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? All right, Joe, very quickly here. We might be able to get more into this tomorrow a little bit, but, you know, the um, transfer portal and NIL, we know that there's massive changes. Everyone's going to ruin college sports, going to do this, going to do that. Yeah, there have been changes with the players. You know who it might be impacting the most? You see this report from Adam Schefter. It's really interesting. I don't know if you've seen this. He said the trend that has emerged this winter, many college coaches are tired of the transfer portal and the NIL and now in the NCAA and want to work in the NFL. And college coaches are trying to get out of college to go work in the NFL because of that, because they're tired of having to deal with it. So they're going to go to the NFL. Wait, oh, just because of how complicated it is, not necessarily because they're against like the idea of oh, players right. getting paid. Sure, like yeah, how yeah, much yeah. it is. Like, yeah, they're not against it necessarily. Yeah, okay. They're like basically trying to keep up with it and recruiting people and you know paying. What are we doing here? And I, I think it's it's probably very frustrating for them. You recruit these kids, they come, they stay a year, they leave. Now we got to recruit more kids. Got to what are we paying you? Everything. Yeah. Uh that okay. That uh, yeah. That that makes more sense then because it's the wild west right now. Yes. Right. Like there's no one has any clue what other schools are doing and who's being you know held to different standards. It's pretty tough. Yeah, I think the Bills did this. They just hired Jamila Dye. He's their new corners coach. He's never coached in the NFL. He's he's coming from the University of Miami. I bet you that's the kind of situation. Like, yeah, I mean, hey, get me out of here. And I'm sure they're getting more money, right? It's the NFL, not college. So, of course, right? Like, who wouldn't want to do it? But I do think it's an indictment of and a very, very big um, statement against what, on what's happening with NIL and the transfer portal because I think the ripple effect now, of course, is you know we see these college coaches and them wanting to get out. So it's very interesting. All right, tomorrow, Friday, we'll lock it back up for you here on the Norton Automotive Extra Point Show at 10 a.m. In the meantime, you have Sabres Live up next and One Bills Live and Show Up with the Bulldog at 3 o'clock here on WGR.